Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 42. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business while traveling full-time. The podcast is different than most entrepreneur-related podcasts because the people I interview haven't launched multi-million dollar companies or have hundreds of employees. They're just normal people who have started businesses that allow them to travel full-time and live a lifestyle they choose. This podcast is also unlike most travel-related podcasts because we don't really discuss travel tips or destination ideas. It's more of an intersection between business, travel, and life on the road. It podcasts for people who aren't just interested in a two-week vacation but a long-term travel lifestyle. It's also a podcast for people who are interested in making impact in their work, even though they don't have a traditional nine to five career. Today in the podcast, I'm interviewing Kimberly Travaglino. In 2010, Kimberly and her husband, Chris, co-founded Full-Time Families, a website created to provide solutions to the questions and challenges of full-time traveling families. A few things we talk about on this episode is how Kimberly built a membership site that she runs while traveling full-time in her RV with her family, how she noticed a need for an educational resource for families who are traveling full-time, and how to create micro streams of income. Today's episode is sponsored by the RV Entrepreneur Summit. This is an upcoming conference Alyssa and I are hosting next month from February 24th through the 26th in Fredericksburg, Texas. We'll have keynotes, workshops, and meetups all around building a remote income in the RV lifestyle. So far, we have 80 confirmed attendees, which is incredible because just a few months ago, this wasn't really on our radar at all. This was something that somebody threw out there as an idea in our Facebook group, Make Money in RV, that we should host an RV Entrepreneur Summit. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, no, well, maybe we'll do that in like a year or two. And just decided to go for it. We contacted some of the people that have been on the podcast, some people who hadn't, and just asked them if they would be willing to come and speak, present, share their stories from how they've built up their business while traveling, and put it out there online. And we've had 80 people sign up and who are going to be attending the summit over the weekend, which is awesome. And we're going to cap it at 100 tickets. So if you're listening to this and it's before February of 2017, and you're interested in coming to the RV Entrepreneur Summit, you can go to therventrepreneur.com to sign up. Or if you have any questions about the summit, logistics of it, what's going to be happening there, feel free to reach out to me personally and shoot me an email, heath at campgroundbooking.com. All right, let's get into today's show with Kimberly. Okay, sweet. Thanks for being on the show with me, Kimberly. Thanks so much for having me. Can you give me an overview of the work that you're doing right now? I know you're probably not doing a ton because it's like two days after Christmas and you're chilling out by the beach in Florida living the rough RV life, but like, what are you doing right now with full-time families and explain to people what your job is? Oh, sure. I'd love to. So here at Full-Time Families, which is an organization my husband and I created back in 2010, our job is to support the needs of full-time traveling families, of which they are varied and sundry. Majority of them include in independent income streams, but there's also uh, social aspects of finding your tribe. Um, there's logistical aspects of uh, where do you store all the stuff that your family has in 350 square feet, all sorts of different things. And so currently at this juncture, I am busy putting the finishing touches on a couple of events that we are hosting, namely our upcoming seventh annual family reunion, which is going to be in Tallahassee this uh, February our fifth annual field trip to Legoland, which is also in February in uh, the Florida area. And then we just today announced a meetup for single 
solo parents who travel, I mean, they are like crazy brave to take this on all by themselves yeah. with kids in tow. And so we want to support them and have them be able to connect in a meaningful way to like-minded families in similar circumstances. And so that's going to be in Tucson in April. And so that's what I'm pounding on the keyboard, doing, uh, promoting all those things and uh, connecting families so that they can attend. Advising a rookie conference organizers such as myself uh, on how to do it better and uh, get everyone there in one piece. You know, what's what's super interesting is the fact that, you know, we, we talk about this whole idea of, you know, being a full-time RV or being a full-time family person, full-time RV entrepreneur or whatever. But it's like before, I, I don't know what your background with camping is, if you grew up doing it or what, but it's like we talk about this like it's such a you know normal term, but for ninety nine percent of the world, it's like the idea of living full time in an RV is is kind of crazy. I mean, is it does does it ever do you ever have to pinch yourself and just realize the fact that you've built up a membership community and an awesome set of conferences and just a strong community in general from people who are also living full time in an RV? Do you ever are you ever just like I can't believe this is what I do? I pinch myself every, every day, every day, no matter from the mundane days where it's, you know, chores and errands to the days where we get to hike some of the most glorious landscapes in the world, you know, alongside our children. Our life is amazing. And all of it is because, uh, you know, God granted us this opportunity and put this on our hearts that there were families who wanted to live intentional lives and needed the support and the, you know, stamp of approval to move forward and do it. And so, yeah, it's amazing. I can't when we sit in traffic on those very, very rare times where we're in rush hour traffic, I just look around in the cars around me and think, oh, my gosh, how did we get so lucky? That we don't have to do this. <laughs> that we don't do this. That this is in our life every day. Yeah. What did so? What did life look like for you guys? You've been now on the road for over six years, and so what did life look like for you guys before pre RV? Yeah. So we were a very traditional um, family of four, five at that time. Uh, in two thousand and nine, I actually got the idea in two thousand and seven. Uh, it was a stay-at-home mom who had her own alterations company out of my house. I did uh, hems and uh, wedding alterations and everything in between, custom work on the sewing machine. And my husband was a computer executive for a company called Citrix. This is down here in South Florida. And our kids went to a really good school and there was a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, commuting that went on and just a regular life. Spent most of our weekends at Home Depot like everybody else and uh, called it good. But there was this major discontentment that ran this vein through my life of discontentment. And I could recall walking around the house and just murmuring to myself, mm, I want to go home. I want to go home. And I had no idea what that meant or where that was, but there's just this constant level of discontentment. And then in 2007, we had never camped before, ever. My husband took all the kids out, the three kids out. It was my first time home alone as a mom. And I was in bed napping and he called me and said, hey, I, of all places, I'm at an RV show and I've just bought a pop-up camper. And I go, what in the heck <laughs> are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, so he brought home this camper and he cranked it up. If you've ever been in a pop-up, you know how arduous they are to operate. Yep. My first camping experience too. <laughs> right. Like 100% manual. And... I stood in it 
And uh, at that moment, God sent me an epiphany that went from the soles of my feet to the tips of my hair. And I looked at this camper that had like, you know, a toilet and a kitchen at galley thing and, you know, a place to cook, a place to let sleep, a place to eat, a place to go to the bathroom, a place to wash yourself. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is all anyone really needs. And I kept looking at the camper and looking at the house and going back and forth and thinking, oh my goodness, we did this all wrong. And so I ran into the house and I said to Chris, my husband, oh my goodness, we did this all wrong. And he says, what, buying the pop-up? I said, no, actually buying the house. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, what are you talking about? Because we had really clawed ourselves into the middle class. We were both college educated. Our kids were going to a really good school. That was a lottery system. It was impossible to get into. We were established. We we were really on the path to the quote unquote American dream. And at that point, everything was shaken underneath me. And I couldn't live that life another minute longer without working towards the next phase. And he was not at all signed on. In fact, uh, he was like, yeah, we'll do that when we're retired. We're not going to do this now. We're not going to uproot our life now. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> we have got to do this now. So the first step to building full-time families was taken that day when I went on the computer and I Googled families that live in RVs, families that live on the road, and every kind of combination of keywords that you could think of. And I kept coming up with information about retirees, which didn't address, you know, my needs as a homeschool mom, which I wasn't yet, my needs for, you know, connecting with other families, and none of it existed there. And I thought, well, I know if I'm searching this right now, that there's at least 100 other families, and that's probably a low estimate, searching this right now, too, and it doesn't exist. So we're going to build it. And he said, we're going to build what? We're not even part of it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start with a a repository of information so that the next person who comes online and Googles this sees something. And that's where it all began. Man, gosh, there's so many different things there. I mean, what 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 I think about first is we talked about discontent. And whenever people had asked or, you know, we talked about like why we were hitting the road in the first place, uh, I I think people wanted, you know, like this epiphany like moment. I mean, it sounds like you kind of had one as soon as you stepped in the pop up. But it's like most of the time I didn't I still don't really have a good excuse for why we wanted to go travel. Uh, But I remember at one point I just it really was that discontent. It was going to the same job uh, each day. And it's not like it was the worst job. I mean, a lot of my friends would have loved to. I was working in a startup in a downtown atmosphere. It was cool. But there was this sense of discontent. And I think you have to pay attention to that. I mean, I, I don't know. It sounds it sounds weird. but And it's such a subtle thing that I think it, it would have been really easy for me to kind of just push away and be like, no, you know, like, whatever. Uh, that's weird to think about going to travel in an RV, but discontent, I don't know. I think I think it's a powerful thing, kind of underrated. <laughs> yeah, you know, that what you're hitting on is exactly the point. It's intention, right? So you felt that discontent, and like you said, you could have gone one or two ways. You could have just, you know, continued down the path you were on because it was good enough. Or you could have, and what you did do, is said, no, I'm not going to accept good enough. I'm going to to live an amazing, extraordinary life. And that's something that is kind of not really valued in our society. Doing responsible things is valued and being on the responsible path is valued. But, you know, taking real risks and living intentionally and asking yourself, what is it I want 
how is it I want to raise my children? What is it, you know, and maybe journaling or whatever, but that is something that is missing in our culture. And and really that's what I think boils down to why full-time families is a success. It's because there are so many people out there who are making, asking this question now. Absolutely. So you ha- you get this bug for wanting to go and travel. Your husband thinks it's kind of nuts and your kids are in this nice school. So what is the next step for you guys? Sitting them down on the couch and just saying, hey, you know, like family, I'm just imagining in my head you sitting there with your husband and your kids and you and you kind of giving your spill and then it turns into like debate club and he's over there saying, you know, I don't know what's up with her. I thought it was crazy too. But so what does that next step look like for y'all? So I kind of went rogue <laughs> and I started selling everything we owned while he was at work. Because remember, I was a stay-at-home mom. And so I just, we had 3,500 square feet. He, he comes home and he's like, where's the couch? Yeah, no, yeah, that kind of happened. So, you know, again, I, I can't really stress enough how much God's hand was in this this thing that we did. Uh, so yeah, I just started selling stuff he wouldn't miss and selling stuff the kids didn't use anymore. And then I, it got a little bigger than that. I scheduled weekly pickups every Monday morning. The Vets of America was at my front porch picking up a pile of stuff. I just scheduled probably... 50 of those every Monday. I just went on the computer and scheduled 50 right away because that meant every week I would be working towards getting rid of stuff. And it did take three years for Chris to come around. He did notice that we were, you know, that our stuff was leaving, (laughs) but he didn't say much about it. And then finally we went on this camping trip. And at this point we had upgraded from the pop-up to a hybrid. So now we're in a travel trailer and we're coming home from a camping trip and he turns to me and he says, you know what? I think I'm ready. And I say, that is such excellent news. And he (laughs) says, why? And I said, because I sold the bed. (laughs) (laughs) So you, I mean, so what was the the timeline again during this process? So you guys still had your house and in what year is it now? This is from 2007 to 2010. It took us three years. That conversation happened in February. We purchased a fifth wheel and a 250, and we were gone in June. Oh, wow. And so 
the plan at this point and your kids what were what was their take on the whole RV thing they were ready to go. Uh, I had been preparing them long enough. They were telling their classmates that we were going to live in an RV full time. And uh, we had like a one hiccup in the in the midst. All of a sudden, I realized I was pregnant. And for 24 hours, we were going to put our plans on hold. And then we realized that, that babies are much easier than toddlers in RVs. So um, that was short-lived. And we were <laughs> back on track. And so we left before we had the fourth child. Oh, wow. And so the kids were, they were pumped at this point. They were telling all their friends they were going to go live on the road and be nomads. Yes. But but my oldest was seven, so he didn't really have a lot to, you know, go by what that actually meant. Yeah. And and so at this point, were you guys thinking this is going to be a lifestyle, an indefinite thing? Or is it is it like you guys are going to try this out for a year and kind of see what happens? Well, Chris was going to do it for a year and I was going to do it for forever and um, ultimately, if you ask Chris now, he'll tell you it was all his idea from the get-go, <laughs> which I'm happy to let him lay claim to. <laughs> yeah, and so what was he working at this point? Like, had you guys saved up, or what was what was the work situation like in the beginning? Right, so he, um, he was working full-time, like I mentioned, for Citrix, and ironically, Citrix produces software that you can use uh, from anywhere in the country, go to my PC, go to webinar, and when he broached uh, his employers about be- telecommuting, they said absolutely not, which was, I just thought, incredibly ironic, but really a blessing, because I really wouldn't want to live this life with him working a traditional nine-to-five job and trying to have conference calls and, you know, solve corporate issues. I really wanted more flexibility for this lifestyle. If we're going to live in 350 square feet, I want to do it completely autonomously. Right. And so, yeah. And so, and so what did that transition look like? So I had been, remember I I had a three-year plan. So I had been storing all the money away that I had sold everything and we sold my vehicle and we were able to, uh, at that point we were renting a house. So we were able to get out of the lease very easily without any kind of um, financial setback. So I had saved this little nest egg that we were going to launch with. And simultaneously, I had started building full-time families as a magazine. I started reaching out to bloggers and the blogosphere was really very disorganized back then, 2007. It was a completely different animal than it is now. And I asked them to write me timely articles about how they solved issues as a full-time RVing family. Like if you do hobbies, like large hobbies, where do you store your stuff? And um, what does Christmas look like in an RV? And how do you have a birthday party for a child on the road? And so they did. They, I had a team of writers who wrote different articles, and we produced uh, 50 issues of Full-Time Families magazine. Oh, wow. And so that was, was that a subscription at that point? Were people paying to get the, the magazine? Yes, that was a subscription. And then um, at one point I was uh, selling ad space to Passport America and they said to me, well, are you just a magazine or are you a club? And I said, well, you know, what's the difference? And they said, oh, we give clubs better benefits. And I said, well, we're absolutely a club. <laughs> and so we became a club after I hung up the phone. And we um, translated all our member our subscriptions to members. And then we started accruing a list of members' benefits. And how many members do you guys have in full-time families now? Uh, currently, we just turned the dial on 1470 this morning. That is awesome. And so is it a one-time membership or do they pay uh, yearly or how does that work? 
Um, we have a ver variety of membership types. We have an annual membership that's $45 a year that gives you access to savings in the hundreds or thousands, depending on how many you utilize. Uh, and then we have a lifetime membership option, um, which gives additional enhanced benefits. And, it, and so at this point, you had been working on building up full-time families for three years. You guys are hitting the road, and you have saved up a decent amount of money, but you both are, are you all bringing in enough money from full-time families that y'all are both able to go full-time or is it the hope that in the next year or two you can bring on enough revenue from this magazine slash club to subsidize your income like what was the thought process that was going on during this time yeah that's a really great question we uh had this nice nest egg we launched hoping that full-time families would float us. Uh, we started hosting events right away and building up the membership, but in reality, it was not enough money. And so there's two factors that play into a location-independent income, especially for an RVer, and that is the fact that you really do get to dictate your expenses for the most part. And so we were 100% cash. We owned our trailer. We owned our truck. And so all we really needed to pay for at the bare minimum was food and fuel. But anyone who's ever gone RVing full-time knows that there's um, no precedent in your life for that. And so sometimes you tend to revert to what I call vacation mode. <laughs> Did you experience that? Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's been three years now, so only half the time that you guys have been out on the road. But our first year on the road, we were looking at like the small amount of money that we actually made. And I mean, we were really good about not reverting going to, I don't think that's a word, I just made it up, uh, going <laughs> back to the vacation mode, just because we literally couldn't afford it. And now that it's been a few years and we're, you know, we've been building up income streams and adding on new clients and et cetera. Yeah, every now and then, you know, we splurge. <laughs> Right, right. Well, you know, all, anyone who's listening, if you can really avoid that, like you did, which is wonderful, you'll stretch your, your beginning money, your um, funds for travel much further. But more often than not, like I said, there's no precedent. And so people feel like they need to eat everything and see everything and do everything because they don't know when it's going to end. And uh, that's really the opposite of what you should do. Like like you and Alyssa did, you should really pace yourself because uh, the country's vast and there's tons to do. And if you want to be out here for the long haul, you need to go slow. I don't know if there's any greater motivation to live cheap and inexpensive than driving an RV across the country. And I, it's not something I would have ever thought of. It's not something most people ever really experience because most people don't do it. So everyone that we talked to, they were like, hey, you know, you know, I didn't really keep track of my expenses and what we were living in an apartment or house or whatever. But now that we're out on the road, I know where every single dollar goes. And we're the same way, uh, not because of I'm good at it, but because Alyssa's a rock star keeping a track of everything. And I'm super grateful for that. But because you're, the motivation is the less that I spend, the, the more places I can go see, the longer I can be traveling, the greater likelihood that I don't have to go back to working in an office and I can keep, you know, opening my blinds and my window of my RV to really amazing places. At least I know that's our motivation. And that's a pretty awesome motivation. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, Heath, that the things that are really worth seeing and doing are pretty inexpensive. If you have your national park pass for $80 for the year, you can go to some of the most majestic places on the planet, or definitely in America. And what's $80? for the whole year. That's nothing. You know, people think they need to come to Disney World or something and spend $1,000. That is contrived. And the longer you're out here, 
the more you value the, 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 for lack of a better word, cheaper things there are to do. Hiking is free. Yeah. Right? And and it's actually free to go to the uh the Canadian National Parks this year cuz it's their their centennial this year. So, if you are cool with spending a lot of gas to get up to Canada or you're not close enough, then when you get there the parks are free. But yeah, we still are uh just on a random side note, we still love Disney World, but it's <laughs> it is so super expensive. Uh so I want to go going back to uh full-time families and the membership. So you become a club how do you actually go about building this? Because I'm I know the landscape of blogging and things like that was it was a lot different in 2007 to 2010 than it is now. And like one practical example, I would assume there's a ton more RV blogs out there producing related content now as there was in 2007, right? Uh, that is true. Predominantly, RV blogs focus on the experiences of the family RVing. And so full-time families from the get-go never really focused on what the Travaglinos were doing. It focused on providing solutions to the questions and challenges that full-time RVing families were experiencing universally. Right. So, yeah. So how did you actually go about building this up and scaling? Because essentially it's a membership site. I mean, I guess you don't call it that. It's a club, but... And, you know, the way that most people would think about this type of site is it's a membership site and then you've got a lot of in-person benefits. You've got access to club discounts through Passport America and things like that, who we use. They're awesome, by the way. So you guys are running full-time families. You started this membership site and you guys hit the road. How long did it actually take for y'all before this was was able to be your full-time thing for both you and your husband? Um, Quite honestly, it took a good solid four years. And the the main problem is our V equipment is prone to breaking. And so the bulk of our ex- monthly expenses went into repairs. And even though Chris performs 99% of the repairs himself, supplies are expensive. And so um, we couldn't afford to live this lifestyle with the repairs just on full-time families alone until uh, the four-year mark. And was that four years from 2007 or four years after you guys hit the road full-time? Four, four years from, it was 2014. Okay, wow. So it took you actually, I guess, seven from the time you actually got the idea and started full-time families. That's true, yes. But in order, yeah, to, to replace our income and be fully location independent just on full-time families was uh, was 2014 when that started taking over. Yeah, so one question I'm sure that you probably have answered a lot for full-time families who are hitting the road. Uh, and by the way, it's an awesome name because that it, it becomes what people use to describe families on the road, their full-time family. So it's front of mind. Um, so for f- other full-time families that are hitting the road, say they have a family of five, what what were some of the, like if you guys had an average monthly expense from the RV, and I know there's always going to be nuanced payments, things that go out, break, whatever. But if you guys had, you know, like your ideal monthly spend, what what is that? What did that look like when you guys were out on the road? Because I mean, I'm sure after six years, you can kind of say this is like what we shoot for. Yeah, so that, it's super simple. Two thousand dollars if we are pretty much stationary for the month. Four thousand if we're doing a lot of movements during the month, um, and that covers uh, food, fuel expenses, lot rent, uh, and insurances on the vehicle, insurances for our family, 
that's so that the so the additional two thousand dollars represents additional gas, additional repairs as a result of moving the RV. Yeah. Um. Because seriously, this this lifestyle is not for the faint of heart, and it's definitely not for the unhandy, if that's a word. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's so true. And I've kind of gotten spoiled in the past year because our first year on the road, I or our first year and a half, I we had a twenty year old RV, and I was constantly on YouTube, like as soon as things broke, trying to figure out, okay, how do I flush out my radiator? How do I do all these basic things that I probably should have done growing up, but I haven't ever done? And now since we got a newer RV and it's under warranty, I've been like, all right, I'm going to make a list of everything that's wrong and I'm going to throw it in the shop and they're going to take care of all of it for free because, you know, warranty. So I'm I'm about to, now that warranty's up, so I'm going to have to start learning how to fix things again uh, because I've gotten spoiled. Anyway, <laughs> how, have, how have you guys went about growing full-time families and actually adding more members to your site? Because I know you guys have a thriving Facebook community, Facebook group with over 15,000 people in it. So how have you actually went about adding new people into your ecosystem? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I can answer it in one way, there's been multiple ways that we've built the community. Obviously, hosting events across the country has helped enormously to, you know, meet people in real life and connect with people. We're out on the road. We're we're living this lifestyle. And so we're constantly meeting new people in person and sharing our knowledge and our resources. We've got, you know... Uh, social media presence is all over from YouTube to Pinterest to Twitter to Instagram to Facebook. And so we're reaching people where they like to spend their social media time. And uh, we encourage our, our members are are really proud to be FTF members. So it's not something they keep a secret. So when they find another family on the road that's not yet heard of full-time families, they're they're very forthcoming in sharing that information with them. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I assume just, this is our first time to do an in-person conference at the RV Entrepreneur Summit in February 2017, next spring, or I guess it's still wintertime. But I mean, I, people have just been flocking. You know, I'm so surprised that people are driving from long distances and flying in for, for this conference. But I guess that's also just the nature of RVers. Like they want to meet up in person and that's where the real community is built. I mean, it's great to talk with people on Instagram, but it's totally different getting to sit down for a week and hang out together and have meals together and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. What I love is that our events are a gateway to international neighborhoods that spawn off in, in international intentional neighborhoods that spawn off after the event is over. So for months later, we see pockets of families still traveling together, still sharing experiences in this country together. And that is incredibly rewarding. And, and that's something that's happened from the get go from every event. There's been these pockets of people that have then um, gone on to create really, really strong bonds and lasting friendships with one another and I don't know it's just it's just amazing to watch that unfold on, across social media what, what's been the biggest learning experience or mistake that you've made in getting full-time families off the ground if you could go back and redo it and I know that everyone always kind of says you know I wouldn't change anything because I am where I want to be now and I get that <laughs> but I'm just wondering you know what are what, what were some of the biggest learning experiences with getting this business started 
Oh, my goodness. Like everything. <laughs> I'm constantly <laughs> still learning. You know, uh, putting all your eggs in one basket is something that I would strongly suggest uh, location-independent entrepreneurs to avoid. I'm really a huge fan of microstreams of income. They really do add up. They take less time to cultivate. Um, once you get a, get a system down on how to bring microstreams in, I'll give you an example. Uh, write a book. So we sell a couple of copies of our book every month and that pays for you know that's a one-to-one -one with one of our bills probably our like mail forwarding uh, a Weber bill is paid for by the book every month and so just coming up with all these different creative micro streams to support yourself is is one of the best things that we did in the beginning we really focused on the membership do supporting us but that wasn't really realistic $45 a year for members is not really enough to live a travel lifestyle on. So uh, just really focusing on little areas of money that you can keep replicating across your income streams. What are some other micro streams that you guys have other than the book? Yeah, so the events are uh, finally self-funded and now uh, making a profit. So that's fantastic. So the events is, an, is another one. Uh, connecting people in our community to the resources that solve their challenges and um, affiliate commissions as a result of that is another one. Those are the big ones. Uh, obviously, you can sell blog posts. You can sell advertising. We do that for the radio show. Uh, so there's just all these different avenues of opportunity, and none of them have to break the bank for the people who are giving you money. You know, once you have in um these micro streams in, you can make it affordable for the people who are taking advantage of the opportunities because there's multiple opportunities available. Totally. I, I want to dive in a little bit to the uh, approaching sponsorships with companies or sponsored blog posts or, or, or even for events, because a lot of people that I talk to that are doing the YouTube thing or doing blogging, uh, it's hard to, you have to really rack up a lot, a lot of views before you're really making a, a good bit of money via like AdSense revenue or things like that. Uh, and so a lot of them are starting to work with brands. And so how have you approached these relationships? Uh, like you said, you find vendors that would be valuable for your audience for full-time family members. So this could be RV manufacturers, Passport America, discount clubs, et cetera. But how have you actually approached these companies and structured some of those relationships so that they're getting value and so are you? Well, you hit the nail on the head with the word relationships because um, so many people that attempt to get sponsorships don't think of it as a relationship. They think of they're, uh, they're a little too short sighted on what their needs are as opposed to what their sponsors needs really are. So developing relationships with brands is one of the, the biggest things you can do for your company and for your membership or your members or whoever is your customers, because what you're doing is an extending a bridge from your customers to a brand. So first and foremost, only partner with people of the highest level of integrity. If, if there's an issue of integrity anywhere in that brand, walk away. I don't care what kind of check they're willing to write you, walk away, because your audience needs and your audience should be your most valuable asset and you should treat them like gold. 
And so whatever you can do to help your audience solve their problems uh, should always be at the forefront of your mind. And whatever brands would actually um, make that a reality are the ones that you should seek a relationship with because that's how you form mutually beneficial relationships between your audience and the brands that you, you are taking sponsorship from. Absolutely. And I can't reiterate this enough. And we've just been doing this the past year, working with some of these companies like Winnebago. Uh, we're doing some stuff with Jellystone. I know you guys do that as well. And, and so it's just like every one of the, the sponsorships, relationship, like relationships, they've all been long-term things. Like I, we've had some one-off, you know, little sponsors for the podcast and things like that, but it ends up just being a lot of work and you don't really get to know the company. They're not meaningful on either side. They're writing you a check for maybe a few hundred bucks or whatever. But the ones that are long-term are the people that just like, fr- they're like friendships, just like you said, you know, like who do you want to work with over time? Like what is their integrity? What do they like? Are they providing value, et cetera? There's a lot of different things that go into that. Absolutely. That really cannot be uh, overstated enough. Um, Too many people just cast this really large net when they're seeking sponsorships. And they're, again, not being intentional about what it is they're trying to accomplish. They're trying to accomplish funding. But just like your audience has challenges, the sponsors and the brands you're working with have challenges too. So finding those two places where those overlap and you're solving two problems at once is is really the key to finding good, solid sponsorship opportunities. So jumping off the business for a minute and talking about y'all's actual travel lifestyle, how often do you guys spend in each location that y'all go to? Like, what what do your travels look like at this point? At this point, we really enjoy the monthly rates at places because we really like to immerse ourselves in the culture of a place. And sometimes a month is the right the right amount of time to spend somewhere. Again, gives us the discount, the monthly rate over a weekly or daily rate and allows us to, you know, attend community events and really explore the area. So usually like a month at a time. We have a Thousand Trails um, membership. And so that allows us three weeks in a park. That is huge for families looking to stretch whatever independent income stream they come up with because through our Thousand Trails membership, we do not have to pay camping fees at 81 parks nationwide. And so that's a really big component to our $2,000, $4,000 budget. And and how much did you guys pay for that membership in advance? So we bought that membership when we were still in the house. It was $4,000 up front and $2,000 upgrade. It came to like $6,500. We pay about $800 a year in dues and it's paid for itself tenfold in really? the six years. That we've, oh, absolutely. Because I, I mean, I've looked into the thousand trails, but I've heard mixed bag reviews from people on whether they like it or not. And it's just, it's expensive upfront investment. It is. And you know, when you're getting free camping, it does come with its own certain issues and they're not all the parks are not in perfect condition but if you're using the park as a place to stay for you to explore an area and if you are an entrepreneur who has a varied income it's great to be able to not pay for camping for three months and then you know save up and go to the keys for a month you know totally and uh how old are your kids now at this point we have a 13 year old a 12 year old a nine year old and a six year old and what does their life look like on the road? Or I guess I'm suppose you're homeschooling them, right? Or road schooling yeah. them? 
That's right. We road school them, which means uh, the emphasis on their education is um, on the surroundings, the culture, the ge uh, geography, all the stuff of where they're at in on the planet, as opposed to just doing the same things no matter where we are. And so uh, what's their life look like? Well, my 13-year-old's really into video games, and he just got an Xbox One for Christmas, so he's thrilled and delighted. My 12-year-old is actually autistic. He's on the spectrum, which is not uncommon for full-time traveling families. There's a lot of spectrum kids. He says what does he spectrum mean? Oh, Sorry. spectrum, the autism spectrum, uh, developmental delays, uh, social delays, any, anything that has to do with autism. Specifically, he has Asperger's, which means he has um, a fascination with one thing to the exclusion of all other things, in his case, trains. So, so uh, for him, what life looks like on the road is um, it's uh, comforting for him because he's always got all his stuff with him and his house never changes, only his outside changes and we get to park him on train tracks across the country so he's pretty pretty thrilled with that yeah like every campground <laughs> in the united states is parked next to a train track so i'm sure he yeah. loves it and he loves it yeah that's great so silver lining there um my nine-year-old is our only girl she's extremely social because we run this organization and because we run events she has a gazillion friends all over the country and gets to spend copious amounts of time with her friends so that's a real big blessing for her and uh, my six-year-old it was the child that was born on the road and he is the most mild-mannered and flexible of all of them I mean, because he was born into it. Yeah, he's never lived in a house. Man, that's great. I mean, was there a fear? There's a lot of people, there's a reputation among kids who are homeschooled sometimes that they can be socially awkward. Was that a fear for you? Um, you know, that's a huge misnomer. Uh, kids in general are awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even even us as adults were awkward. Uh, you know, people are people. I, I that wasn't really a big fear for me. It was a fear for our parents, Chris and ours, and my family. You know, said that that might be, but those uh, fears have been assuaged long ago. The kids are crazy, crazy flexible, and you know have. Uh, friends of all ages and uh, highly sociable and uh, very loving. Uh, they're just amazing kids. I love being able to spend every day with them. They're amazing. That's awesome. And what what would you say your days look like? If you had like an average day, what does that look like in the RV? Yeah, they're pretty regular. They're you know they're not this rock star life. <laughs> you mean you don't get on you don't get on stage and just like rock at no keep going yeah Sorry. yeah exactly no um you know it depends on where we're at and what we're doing the normal week i could give you like a week overview that looks like monday through thursday there's road schooling going on and chris and i are working on full-time families usually by four o'clock all of that is wrapped up and it becomes family time on fridays is totally dedicated to families time and we might take a field trip on a friday or um, just spend time together we take the weekends off and um, go explore, you know, the mostly the natural things. You know, we love to go canoeing, kayaking, hiking, just exploring. That's that's what we love to do. I so. love that. Well, just a couple more questions for you, um, kind of just rapid fire questions. What kind of RV do you guys have now? Do you also have a fifth wheel? We do. We have a 2012 42 foot cyclone toy hauler. Wow, a big one. So I assume, I mean, the thought behind that was just room and space for the kids. 
Yeah, I, actually, I would tell anybody who's looking for an RV, no matter how large your family is, really the sweet spot is 35 to 38 feet, because that gives you a lot more flexibility in national parks, state parks, and stuff like that. This 42 foot is it's an advanced RV. I, I, too many families go out and buy the largest RV possible and then run into all sorts of problems. Don't do that. Go smaller first. And what do you guys do for internet? Ah, that's a great question. We have unlimited internet through grandfathered Verizon plans. That is one of the fa- one of the big things, big issues, challenges that full-time families solves for um, families on the road. We have um, suppliers of those grandfathered plans at exclusive FTF rates. So. Awesome. And what about uh, some of your favorite your favorite apps that you use while you guys are on the road to either for travel purposes or for running your business? Oh, um, apps. Let's see. I love geocaching, so we use that app all the time. Geocaching. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Don't tell me you don't know about geocaching. I don't know about geocaching. <laughs> okay, we'll have to talk further at another time. I'll have to take you geocaching. It's so fun. It's a short story is it's a treasure hunt facilitated by GPS that you can do anywhere in the country. You can go find a geocache right now. Just go download the app, uh, look up the geocaches near you, and you can start right now. So fun. I'm going to look on my phone right now to see what I use. Uh, obviously, I have all the social media apps. Google Maps is great, but please don't drive your RV using only Google Maps. Please get an RV GPS that can tell you about low clearances and tunnels and stuff like that. Otherwise, you'll be making lots of U-turns and maybe um, incurring damage that you don't need to incur. Let's see what else. The Groupon. I love Groupon because no matter where we are in the world, we can find a really good deal on fun things to do, restaurants to go to, escape rooms to explore, all sorts of fun. I think that weather, you know, the regular stuff. I don't really, um, I'm not really app extensive on my business. Uh, we use PayPal to um, get our payments and pay other people and um our website uh, has all sorts of modules to make it more efficient, and, and that's pretty much the big tools that we use. Awesome. And last question for you, what is, uh, and this is something I ask each episode, but what does success look like for you in this lifestyle as you're running full-time families and your business and you guys are traveling with your family? What does success look like for you? Success looks like a Monday morning where I open my eyes, praise God for the health and happiness of the day that we're going to have, and do whatever I want with my day. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome, Kimberly. Well, where can uh, p- where's the best place for people to connect with you guys at? Well, um, you can go to fulltimefamilies.com, and from there you can find all the different opportunities we have to connect. Like you mentioned, we have a very large Facebook group, Full Time Families Facebook um, at groups. And then, um, we're on Instagram, full-time underscore families and, uh, we're everywhere. YouTube, full-time families. Uh, but go to fulltimefamilies.com first and see all the upcoming events that we are hosting and, uh, come and join us at one. Awesome. That sounds good. And this is kind of impromptu. We talked about this already, but Kimberly and I are partnering up for the RV Entrepreneur Summit and her upcoming events in 2017 for full-time families. So if you go to the show notes page for this episode, heathandalyssa.com slash full-time families, all one word, uh, you can ha- see all the information about that. And we haven't created it, <laughs> all that information yet, but it will be there. Uh, we're going to give exclusive discounts for people who are listening to this show uh, for both events, I believe. And so all that info will be on there by the time this episode goes live. So heathandalyssa.com slash full-time families. And Kimberly, thank you so much for being on the show with me and taking the time. 
Oh, thank you. And thank you for making a place for people who are looking to live an intentional life. That's uh, it's really commendable what you and Alyssa are doing and how much time you're dedicating to it. So thanks so much. Of course. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to grab the show notes from this episode, head on over to heathandalyssa.com forward slash episode 42. If you're interested in joining the Full-Time Families membership program and attending some of their awesome rallies, Kimberly is hooking up listeners with a free rally if you join. Go to fulltimefamilies.com and use the discount code RVEntrepreneurs when checking out, and you'll get access to a free rally from Full-Time Families, and they host those all over the country. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and I'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.